Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, thanks for checking out the Ohioan. Um, Craig, it's an interesting time. I'm COVID is hard on all of us financially. Um, I can tell you we've been fortunate uh, personally where our family, we're not destitute, we're not broke, but probably like everybody else, we're counting our pennies, counting our paycheck, trying not to make crazy, ridiculous purchases right now. It's interesting. And I've read stories about how people financially aren't as affected. Maybe people will say better, other stuff like that. But it's gone to kind of an extreme. There's some people that are finding the income to buy really, really, really big homes uh, here in Ohio and elsewhere. Uh, There's a USA Today story, Craig, that I shared with you talking about it. Saying, "Hey, these whole, these affluent Americans are chasing luxury homes, a million dollar listings." Um, Craig, we were uh, our family um, owns a house in Kent that we've been trying to sell, and I'm like, I saw my brother about it. I said, "You know, hey, we're not going to be able to sell it," and he's like, "No, you will, because right now interest rates are so low. If you've got that money, you might be more likely to buy a house if it's a." average house in Canton, or if it's a multi-million dollar house. Man, Craig, I, I wish we saved our dollars before COVID, right? Yeah, I mean, what a difference a year makes. Looking at the percentages that change from February 2020 to February 2021, the the number of houses that have been, you know, sold the million dollar plus 81% increase. I mean, this is unbelievable it, it seems like it's a buyer's market but unfortunately the data looks like it suggests that the the buyer's market is for homes that are two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and above so even though we have these low interest rates it seems like is it really benefiting 
you know, the normal standard human being that's going out looking for a home right now, because I don't know that, you know, it is. I mean, maybe it's a buyer's market, but based on these percentages, it doesn't seem like it's a buyer's market unless you have, you know, a half a, a you know, quarter million dollars. I, I've really heard it's more of a seller's market, to be yeah. honest. Uh, there was another story USA Today did. I, I don't have a link right in front of me, but they were talking, and it's kind of more in bigger cities, too. I'm sure rural areas, there are desirable houses, but, like, they were sharing a story about in D.C., there was somebody who was trying to sell a house. They got 81 offers, and 67 were cash offers. <laughs> and yes. they did pick the highest value offer because there was another offer where someone said, hey, I got a lawyer right here. We'll take care of closing costs. You don't have to wait. We'll write up right now, give you the cash, get out, we'll go in. And the seller's like, great. I don't have to mess around with this anymore. We're good. You know, and they sold the house. So, and they're saying that. And I've, I've read this here in Columbus. I'm sure it's true in Royers too. There's not as much inventory. Now, granted, not a ton of people are saying, hey, it's COVID-19, I'm ready to move. Kind right. of tougher time to move, but hey, if you're ready to move and you take the necessary safe precautions, um, yeah, you're right. It's not great for buyers because there's not as much to buy. But man, if you're selling the house, you know, jackpot, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a market for something, and, and I don't know if it's you know, I, I'm kind of intrigued by these numbers because it, it kind of suggests to me like what we've heard throughout this whole pandemic, which is, you know, the the sort of the rich got richer kind of narrative where, you know, people are able to afford these homes. Maybe the people that are the wealthiest in the country have increased their wealth despite this pandemic, whereas, you know, average Joe Schmoes like you and I, who aren't independently wealthy because of our jobs, you know, have, have maybe struggled to get into the housing market if we want to get into the housing market because they're just, you know, maybe maybe money's tight. There's been a lot of families that have been laid off from because of COVID or maybe have their hours reduced because, because of COVID. So this kind of just pushes the narrative, I think, to me that the rich have gotten richer and, and maybe can go out and buy these houses, whereas, you know, the, the lower class or even the lower middle class have, have continued to sort of just struggle just to get by. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a CL real estate brokerage, uh, Redfin, that made that argument saying, hey, the, uh, the, the economic inequality is rising. And it's true, and it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge for – yeah, you know, current President Biden, and, and not just from a Democrat side, challenge for all legislators in Washington. How you make it a, a little more easier and everything. And yeah, I think part of it is hey, if you saved your money, I have done a great job of saving my family's money. And this kind of is a challenge. That, hey, you know, you can thrive during times of crisis if you save your money and you know you're set pretty well. Um, it's hard though because job wise. You know, it's not, you know, necessarily a white collar versus blue collar. You, you know, you had to be lucky in the field you had. I mean, as journalists, Craig, I mean, I remember there was a time where it was unthinkable, unheard of, to do journalism work at home if you're designing pages right. or writing stories. I mean, we've lived that. I mean, we've not, 
very few of us have ever been in the office in the past year, and we're putting out papers and everything. And yeah. So, you know, it, it's weird. I mean, you, you have to be lucky in terms of what your job is, and a, a lot of it's going into it. And, you know, hey, if you're looking for a house, good luck. I mean, part of me almost says, hey, do I sell my current house? But if the market's low, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get into a nicer area unless I decide to move out of Columbus, which I don't really want to do right now. So right. we'll keep your course for now, but it always makes you think when you read articles like that and say, man, house values are going up and all this other stuff. So it'll, and it'll be interesting to see what happens once, you know, COVID restrictions ease a little bit and the danger of COVID gets a little bit less. Are people going to try to jump on it before the interest rates go up? You know, who knows? Right. Absolutely. You'll have to hit, hit that fine line where, you feel safe moving, but it's if you wait too long and everybody gets out there, then right. you know there'll be more demand and it'll just go, you know, weird ways. So, right. I don't know. Well, what so what do you think about this? Um, are you looking for a house? You're looking to sell your house? I I like to hear more personal stories about that. So, uh, let us know. Thanks for checking out the Highland. Check out our sponsors. Uh, Check out for ways to support the show. We have some contests going on. And check out Hope Interrupted. They had two episodes last week. Uh, I guess their next one's going to come next week. I, I see that they're recording that today. Uh, check out and check out the book that goes along with it. All right. Thanks again. Have a great day. We'll be back soon with another segment. Churches really are being hit with a one two punch between the politics and the COVID. And I think what's going to emerge is a, is a very different church. I don't know if you saw the, um, I believe it was Gallup poll, mm-hmm. or Pew, Pew, um, which showed that um, people who affiliate themselves with the religious organization has fallen to 47%, which is the lowest in probably a century. Uh, 10 years ago, I think it was over 70%. Uh, so, you know, obviously something's going on. There's, there's a, a disconnect between, you know, younger Americans, average Americans coming up and in the institution. And church is going to have to do some soul searching. I mean, it's, it's certainly not the first time churches have, have you know, been in American churches have been in, in such a crisis. I mean, you know, if you look at history with, you know, civil war and different, you know, civil, the civil rights movement, um, there was always, there's always been some division and some fallout. And so uh, obviously, you know, the scriptures say that, you know, the, the church, you know, will always prevail. So, but how it looks is going to be a different, you know, we don't, we don't know yet. We don't know. Excellent. And, and let me introduce you. I forgot to do that, but as we got started, uh, Sharita Gauthier from the Canton Repository. Uh, I'm excited to have her on. Uh, when we started the show, I always thought about people wanting to have on the show. And I grew up in Stark County. And Sharita, longtime uh, columnist with religion and just writing about all kinds of interesting issues with the rep. And man, you're the type of person I like to have on, and uh, shame on me for it taking so long, but I'm glad you're here. Um, yeah, so, so let's talk about You want to talk about churches and kind of response for COVID. It's interesting. Um, You know, they've never prohibited you going to church in Ohio, and churches have been very creative on finding new ways of reaching people, not just right. online, but with some drive-in services, right. um, some Socially distanced gatherings where you can get together, but just stay a little ways right. apart. Right. Uh, 
you know, I, I think it's funny. I get embarrassed for churches when they get way too involved in the politics sense. Of right, it. right. And I know this COVID's an emotional issue. I know it's something that no matter how much we say, well, we're not thinking about this, we think about it because obviously yeah. it prevails every part of our life. Right. But I think the more we get involved politically, especially when you look at the Trump side, we're almost selling our faith. It's sure. probably easier said than done. How, how do we get away from this? Because to me, I think that kind of drives people away from church. That was, that a, that was a huge mistake for her, for, you know, white evangelicals. Because, you know, the, the, the script, it, it, the last thing a president or a ruler should want to see is a prophet walking down the hallway because yeah. that's always, you know, Nathaniel kicked David's butt every chance he, he got. And, you know, power seductive. You know, I get to have lunch with the president or I get to play golf with the president. When you do that, then you then you put yourself in a position where you can't say what you're doing is wrong, what you're saying is wrong. You can't. So, you know, that's that's the worst thing you could do is is to to allow yourself as as a religious leader get seduced by by power. And, and it's and it's easy to do. It's easy. To, it's it happens very easily. So. Um, Christians aren't supposed to be popular. It's not supposed to be a popular faith. Uh, it, you know, it, this it, Gospel of John says that very specifically. If they hated me, they'll hate you. It's not supposed to be the, the you know, the, it, it, somehow we've gotten, it's gotten to be the, you know, when, when you think Christian, you think conformity. Christians yeah. are supposed to be the bomb throwers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We're, you know, there was a reason, you know, in, in the book of Acts and and, 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 and after Jesus' crucifixion that they were hiding because, <laughs> because they were the rebels. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's just American Christianity. I don't because all over the world, Christians obviously are being persecuted. Um, but American Christians have this weird persecution complex that, you yeah. know, everybody's out to get you. It's like, dude, you could throw a football through your church these days and not hit anybody. Nobody's out. Nobody wants your Bible. <laughs> right, to get you, you know. So, well, well, I think too, as Christians, you know, we all believe in some type of an end time judgment. I mean, for some people, you look at like a rapture. Yeah, mm -hmm. hey, that's how the world's going to come in. Some people have other ideas of how the world comes in, but there's an end time judgment. There's an end time mm -hmm. persecution. It sounds like we almost as Christians are super excited about it or super paranoid about where everything is just going to be this persecution. I'm not sure if it's almost like, you know, it's almost like some people like watching Lifetime movies. You know, you watch a Lifetime movie and the woman gets abused. The woman's going for a tough relationship. Sure. And, uh, and obviously no woman wants to go for that. It's awful yeah. and everything, but you're drawn to it. You want to watch it and everything. I almost equate that, and maybe this is a bad example, but it's almost like with Christians where we look at and say, oh, yeah, the COVID vaccine is a mark of the beast, or, oh, man, they're trying to do this, and here's 10 more reasons why Satan's using things yeah, there, to get yeah. us. There has to be a villain, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's enough that, you know, there's enough evil in the world that you don't have to manufacture any, you know, and it's our job to be a light um, in, in all this darkness, not to, you know, it's it's like a, a nonstop pity party. And the thing is, there are a lot of churches that are doing a lot of good out there and they're not, they're not 
you know, banging the drum. They're just out there doing it. They're just out there feeding people and taking care of people and, and, and praying for people. But, you know, and they're not out there, you know, what about me? You know, where's my cookie? They're not doing it. So you don't hear about them. And, and that's, I, you know, and I share some of that blame probably, you know, for not, for not highlighting those churches. But a lot of times I, I, you know, wanted to do stories on church, churches or people and they weren't necessarily interested. They want to just do what they do. And I, I admire that. I admire that. So um, there's a, I guess maybe it's because we're Americans. We, we want to be loved. We want to be loved. Um, and I think, you know, if you go back to September 11th, the, the attacks there, I think people were shocked at that more than what shocked people more than anything, that there was actually some people out there in the world who don't like us. Yeah. Hate us and, and shock me. I'm not even going to like, you know, we were raised to think there are only two types of people in the world, Americans and people who want to be Americans. And we found out the hard way that that is not the case. Um, but September 11th, even that was, has religious roots. You know, those yeah. people thought they were defending their faith. Yeah. You know, they were manipulated obviously by, you know, some of bin Laden, but they, they were, they were, taught and convinced and brainwashed that they were defending their faith. And I'm certainly not defending what they did. There's no defense for what they did. But, you know, everything has, everything's rooted in religion. People may not realize it. You know, there are people who never darken the door of a church who live their lives by, by Christian tenets and don't even know. Yeah. Here's another thing I was thinking about. And when talking about your subject about how it's hard for churches to get people back and the challenge the church is going to be facing because COVID's so real. I mean, we're not saying, Hey, COVID's gone, go do whatever you want, but we're trying, we're starting to kind of ease our way back into society. And if we're not careful, we're going to go the other way. So let's ease real slow. But I kind of wonder, I almost look at church like a late night TV show. Like you think about it, a typical service might be an hour, hour, 15 minutes. Are people watching a whole late night TV show, they might be watching a two-minute fun segment of the host joking of somebody or anything. Do you think churches may have to rethink the way they do things? Not to say we do two-minute YouTube clips or anything, but I guess we're married to the idea of, all right, we're going to sing for a while, then a pastor's going to come up and preach, and yeah, you're all going to be together if you don't go... like. I, I saw a pastor the other day, and bless his heart. I If he's hearing this, I take no personal offense. I, I just want you to take a look at yourself. They're writing these articles saying, well, if you're not in corporate worship by now, what are you doing? You know, you're not making good excuses. Your faith's probably flawed. Get your butt back into corporate worship now. And I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I've got two special needs kids that could get sick if they go to church. That's yeah. why we're doing online church right now. Yeah, yeah. What do you think churches should do that's different? Because it's almost like we, we almost have to not scrap the whole mob, but really think creatively and try to think differently for us. Yeah, I mean, look, the world has changed. I mean, fundamentally changed. There are things that we've incorporated because of COVID that will be here for forever. Um, and, and I go to a very traditional church. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a traditionalist at heart, but... Mm change or die. <laughs> yeah. You have to change or die. Uh, and if it takes you having drive-in style, you know, services in the summertime or whatever, you have to do what you have to do. Uh, churches, I think, need to sit down as, as a body and as a group and and, or, or group and and figure out, you know, how do we get people back in here? What are we, what are we doing wrong? 
what were we yeah. doing before? Because people were leaving before COVID. Yeah. All that all COVID did, all COVID did was add throw gasoline on the fire that was already right. smoldering. So we need to ask ourselves a hard question. Why? Why aren't people coming to church? Why are kids, you know, why are the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, outgrowing people who are joining? There's a reason. And we're not asking ourselves the hard questions. We need to be honest with ourselves. If we're boring, we need to admit that we're boring. If, if, we're, if, we're, if our services are too long, we need to figure out a, a way to, to make them shorter. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying infotainment, because, you know, there are some churches they take it, you know, you know, I, I think about the preachers and sneakers thing, you know, yeah. that whole that whole goofy, you know, thing. It's it's I'm not talking Disneyland. Right. But there, there's gotta be there's gotta you you have to the best the, the most effective pastors are the ones that reach people where they're at. Well I kinda look at this and I I I know your heart, even though we don't know each other super personally. Um you're not changing the message. Some people out here listen to this is like, oh, those crazy kooks are going to change the gospel on us and everything. It's not changing the message. It's changing the way you convey the message. Where the message is exactly the same, you're not just doing it in the whole same traditional way. I want to make sure people are clear about it. Because I can see right. some people like, yeah. oh, oh no. those hipsters, they're doing away with the gospel. No, no, no. no. Not I, the I, case I, I know of a church, and I, I won't. I won't name it. They, they okay. try to be all things, all people, and, yeah. and it's just a mess, and it's a disaster. And I don't even know if it's even still open. Because yeah. fundamentally, you know, the gospel is still the, the centerpiece. Of, and if you if you're not preaching that, if you're not sharing that, because that's the source of hope for people. That's it. Right. That's right. it. Right. That's it. I mean. <laughs> So if you're not offering people that, if you're not offering people hope, if you're not teaching teaching people, you know, to go deeper into the gospel and the message, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? I definitely want to get my co-host Craig involved because I could go on for hours. Um, <laughs> Craig, what do you have for Serena? Well, I definitely appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, one of the things I've been intrigued by is how churches have adapted, uh, you know, whether it's your church or other churches that you've seen. How have they adapted to COVID and maybe what's sort of uh, some staying power of that adaptation, whether it's using, you know, use of technology, things like that? What have you kind of seen uh, just from your perspective of, of churches adapting to COVID and maybe adapting for the better? I, I think of, I think the vast majority of churches that I know of have uh, turned to, you know, Zooming and, and Facebook. And, and, you know, again, you have you don't have much choice. You don't have much choice. And I think those are tools that will remain, um, you know, even after people are, are are returning to church. There are some churches I know of that I have returned, but are also doing Facebook Live for those people who still aren't comfortable or aren't ready or just are happy, you know, with with with, you know, using using technology that, you know, there's something to be said about in-person services. You know, there's there's something about you know, uh, fellowship with other people, with other believers. It's, you know, it's the reason people go to football games. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, yeah, you can watch it on TV. Is it more fun to go? Sure. In, in most cases, unless you're, you know, depends on your team, I guess. But um, there, there's, a, there's a camaraderie there. There's an energy there that you don't, that you, that you get in person that you don't get when you're sitting, you know, and you're, you're lazy boy by yourself. And, 
Sure. There's something to be said. And, 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 you know, Peter said, you know, do not forsake the, the assembly of the brethren. Right. And, that, and there's strength in numbers. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think churches will continue to embrace uh, technologies. Uh, you know, a lot of them already were already, already out there. Right. You know, a lot of the, um, the, uh, the mega churches, they were already, they've been doing that for 10 years. Right. So uh, it's churches like mine that are just like, huh? Okay. Concession prices are always hard for me at games. That's why I like watching on TV. But <laughs> I guess you don't have to worry about them at churches, right? You, you, well, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. I, uh, my wife, the church we're going to charge her a buck. So I guess for coffee. And she was like, oh, man, this is too much. So <laughs> I, I guess you got that problem with churches sometimes too, which makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, us guys too, you know, we're members of faith and we're in the media and hey, it's our job, it's what we do. But I know on my Facebook there's a lot of people out there that are like, You're a member of faith and you're a Christian and you're part of the media. I've never heard of that before. When it's just our job, it's what we do and everything. Yeah. How much have you faced that in not just your professional life, but your personal life? And what advice do you give to other members of faith that are uh, working in the media? Because to me, it's no big deal. But with conspiracy theories and uh, press of the enemy of people and all this other stuff, now we're getting this place where people are, are questioning my faith sometimes because I work for a – I'm a journalist, which is crazy. Well, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest fallacy there is. I mean, I don't know of anybody on on our staff, and I'm not speaking, I'm certainly not presuming to speak for people. I don't know anybody on our staff who is a an atheist. I mean, as far as I know, uh, but I, I, I was talking to a young reporter once and she, she, she's, you know, very deep in her faith and she was, she was conflicted. And I'm like, you don't have to be conflicted. You know, you, God doesn't need Christian reporters. He needs reporters who are Christian. Yeah. You know, he needs he needs firefighters who are Christian. He needs police officers who are Christian or, or Jewish or people of, of faith. Um, I, to me, there's no conflict. There's no conflict. And I haven't really encountered anybody who was surprised, probably based on, you know, some of the, the writing I've done. Um, I, I'm not, you know, certainly not. Well, I'm not let's get angry on Twitter guy. I don't want to be that guy. I, I'm on Twitter. I'm like, hey, read my stuff. You know, here's a tweet about my story. Here's a tweet about my podcast. Check it out. But I once responded to Jason Whitlock, who is a <laughs> very opinionated guy, yeah, who yeah. is saying, hey, if you're a Christian to me, you're going to get fired and everything. I'm like, I'm, I work for the largest print organization in the country, and yeah, I don't scream about my faith, but I i mean, you yeah, can talk true. to me for five minutes, you know where I'm coming from. And I'm, I'm, embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for it. Yeah, I am too. In many ways, I'll put it that way. It goes, yeah. back, it goes back to that what I was saying before. There's always got to be a villain. Everybody, you know, right. there's so many people who want to be martyrs. It's like, you have no idea what it is, what it means to be a martyr. You're an American. You have no idea what some of these people around the world are going through. So knock it off, please. Well, and the challenge I have, and, and hey, it's the same thing if you're a Democrat and, and you're going to church. It's separate, okay? Yeah, as Christians, we're called to approach a political season, and we're called to vote. We're called to 
but we're not called to say, hey, you're a Christian, so you're a Republican, or you're a Christian, you're a Democrat. It's more of you look at both candidates and you say, hey, who do I feel more comfortable with? I, I look at like you're hiring somebody for a job. If, if you were hiring an assistant at the repository, you look at both, you make a decision, you go with it. And yeah, I mean, and, and you and pray about it, and you say, where do you, where you think I should go? And you just make your choice. There are people who say, well, if you're you're a Democrat, you can't be a Christian, or if you're a Republican, you can't be a Christian. It's like, no, no, no. Your your faith should your faith impact what you're looking for in a candidate? Absolutely, absolutely. But in terms of you, know, you either are or you aren't. You can't say that. You don't know what's in a person's heart. You don't know. Yeah. You know. You don't know their story. Yep. So, Very um, good. It's just. There's good, there's good, there's good people throughout the political spectrum, you know. Oh, I definitely agree. Well, Sharia, it's been great to have you on. I, I want let's continue this conversation because there's sure. a million things I want to talk about we haven't even gotten to today. Um, uh, where can we find you? So again, in case you're like, man, she sounds interesting. Never heard her before. Where's she from? Well, she writes for the Canton Repository. Uh, well, do you cover you, your columnist? Um, what else do you cover at the repository? Actually, I cover religion. Um, okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> um, and and general assignments. Um, okay. But, uh, you know they they keep me busy. A lot yeah. of things in the air, so that's always a good thing. That's the thing I love about this job more than anything is every day is different. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a it's a front row front row seat to to the to the world. So as we always say, support local journalism. Absolutely. And especially if you're in that Stark County area. I can understand if you're here in Columbus and you're like, Well, I may not know people. Well then support the Columbus Dispatch. But if you're in Canton, believe me, I'm now I'm in the meetings every day. Well, not every day because I'm off on Mondays, but I see what they're doing. I know they're working hard. I know they're covering Stark County. And also with the state coverage we have too, because, you know, they use a lot of state coverage in repository, a lot better than they've had before. So support local journalism, support Sharita. Uh, definitely get a digital or print subscription to Canton Repository. Well, Sharita, Thanks so much. Hang out for a second. I need to ask you something after we uh, get done. Everybody else, thanks for checking out the Highland. You have a great day. Thank you. Go Browns. <laughs> All right. Back here on the Highland. Always love having Danae King on. And she's here with us from the Columbus Dispatch covering religion and immigrants. Danae, how's it going today? Pretty good. It looks like it's going to be beautiful out, so I'm happy. <laughs> yes. I am waiting for a time where I can start podcasting and working for the dispatch outside. I'll be much yes. happier. And this might be the week for you. It'll be good. I'm 80 tomorrow. To so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Next couple days, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. Which is insane because we had snow last week. So I know. Ohio weather's really That's good. Ohio. Yeah. yeah, especially <laughs> this week. It's nuts. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Um, last week, wow. Crazy week. Um, Derek Chauvin um, was found guilty on all three counts, and you wrote something about the Columbus pastor's reaction to it. Um, what did you find in that story? Yeah, so the timing, first of all, I'll say, was kind of weird because, you know, obviously there was a shooting locally, um, right kind of at the same time we heard the verdict. So yeah. I got pastor's reactions to the verdict kind of in real time, and then that story about the local shooting unfolded as well. Um so when I was talking to the pastors, it was kind of funny because I called some of them and one of them was kind of having his live reaction right when I yeah, called. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, because we were trying to get a story pretty quickly right after that. And so I called um, the Reverend Jeffrey P. Key and he was, you know, still kind of laughing and happy and shouting and, you know, was real, real excited that it had been a guilty verdict. And, and that was the reaction I got from all of the pastors. But one thing was, is that, you know, we are happy, but there's still a lot of work to be done, especially locally, which we saw that very same day, you know, with the shooting locally. So I think that pastors are, they were excited, they're relieved, but they realized that there is still a ton of work to be done. And a lot of them expressed that they really hope this is kind of like a, a nudge for Columbus in the right direction with policing uh, the black community. And so they're hoping that, you know, with our new police chief, you know, who we obviously haven't hired yet, but with the next police chief that will bring change. And also just that, you know, this shows cops who, you know, are over-policing black people that um, there are consequences for your actions, which there largely haven't been. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's been good to see the pastors be on the forefront of that as well. Um, I know you haven't personally covered it yet. I mean, we've had a lot of reporters assigned to the uh, coverage of the another horrible police shooting here in Columbus. Are, are you expecting to hear some more from the pastors as time goes on? I know you haven't done that reporting as of now, but I'm assuming the pastors will have something to say about what's happening currently, I'd imagine, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think we'll definitely see a reaction from them. Um, you know, and I think there's going to be, you know, not only a reaction, but more action from the pastors, you right, know, right. talking, asking for things from the mayor, you know, and whatever that may be in the past, they've asked, you know, for the chief to be, you know, completely out of the department. And I know that FOP negotiations are coming up too with the, you know, with the police. So I think that we'll definitely see some more um, some more urging from the faith community to do more on this topic. Excellent. And um, I'd like to see overall, and I've talked to a couple of people about this over the past uh, few a week or so. It'd be nice to see how, yeah, police need reform. How do we make other parts that affected this young woman's life help? Because it sounds like the system, it, it was a tough system for her. And, you know, from the police to maybe the foster care community to the schools, I think it's a joint effort. It'll be interesting to see what could happen from this. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot, um, a lot that this showed, you know, in the system that was problematic and a lot that that can be reformed, hopefully, so it doesn't happen again. And it was good. I, I only listened to one sermon yesterday, but it was great to hear that there was talk about the shooting. It was being mentioned during some of the sermons here in Columbus, which was good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's also talk about this, too. We talked about this a bit beforehand. And, Danny, I got to say, I'm excited because I've been in a couple different churches during my life. I really like Christian Missionary Alliance Church. Uh, they were always based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And they're moving, and they're not just moving. They're moving here to Columbus. And not just bringing their headquarters, which anytime. Any company brings a headquarters, it's going to help the economy here locally. But they're actually trying to spur development, which I thought was really interesting. What are they trying to do with this new uh, move? Yeah, this is a really interesting story. And um, I kind of wrote it from a business perspective because mm -hmm. it's very much a business story as well. So 
Um, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, um, like you said, they're a denomination. They're kind of a non-denominational denomination. So, right, right. Um, but they have a lot of churches that are, you know, Christian evangelical, and they're moving their headquarters here. And so they want to. They they looked at this place in Reynoldsburg, along with a hun- hundreds of other sites across the country. And the reason they liked this was because um, the development director in Reynoldsburg came out to meet them. And so they kind of got this to talk about their shared vision. And they both have this vision of creating kind of this mixed use development, kind of like a bridge park in Dublin. So Mm -hmm. they not only want their headquarters to be there, they want their headquarters. They're going to do, you know, an event center. And but they're also going to build it out kind of like um, almost like a, a mini Easton, you know, there's going to be apartments, there's going to be food, there's going to be retail, um, you know, all kinds of um, space to, you know, to live and work and um, really just to enjoy some, maybe some dining experiences that Reynoldsburg doesn't have right now. So it's kind of make it a destination. The one thing that kind of confused me was obviously not everything there is going to be directly church related. Like it's not like you're, it's only Chick-fil-A so you can eat that. I mean, there's going to be a mix of every different thing. So what, what's the church's role in this? Are they going to be kind of like the tenant then? Because like, if they're buying this area, if I'm a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a place. If I'm at McDonald's, I say, Hey, I want to put a restaurant there. Am I leasing that area from a church? That's what I was a little bit unclear about. So I think that everybody's a little bit unclear about that right now. So it's not like set in stone, but right now it looks like what they will do is they'll kind of be the developer. So right now it sounds like you would, you know, if you're McDonald's, you would lease from the Christian and Missionary Alliance um, because they'll own the land and they'll develop it. So, um, but the great thing for Reynoldsburg, um, the development director was saying is, you know, a lot of developers will come in, they'll do everything and then they'll sell off their development. And that's not something the church is likely to do. They want to stay rooted in the community. So they will, you know, be the one likely leasing, you know, areas to to businesses. And so, um, you know, but it won't all be church related. You know, it's not all it's going to be private businesses kind of coming into that area to create this Bridge Park-esque, you know, area. Well, you talked about like a family element there, and I can't imagine like they would lease a strip club or stuff like that. I mean, it'd probably be an area you could bring families into and other stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a strip club. I think it's more um, like coffee shops and maybe some bars. But I think we lost Craig there. Yeah, you know, you really, you really just know how to touch on everything that could happen. Well, no, I mean, no, I guess what I'm saying is, anytime a new development comes in. Like, even with Easton, I, you hear some pushback from Easton because they, they got some clubs that aren't strip clubs or a little bit more risque and everything. And I know some of the pushback of what Easton's trying to do is some people are saying, like, I don't think Easton ever advertised itself as this family-friendly place to go. But some people say, are they going a little bit too far with some of those places? And I think one of the advantages, even if you're not interested in religion or if you're not a Christian or whatever else the case might be, you would have more family friendly. And I, I think a lot of people in Columbus, no matter where you stand faith wise, want to have more family friendly destinations. So I think advantage, whatever you think of CMA churches, it's probably going to be a little bit more family friendly, which I'm sure would appeal to a lot of Columbus people. So. 
Yeah. And I think to that point, you know, like uh, the development director, I think I said this was talking about it like a date night destination as well. But I think it will definitely be very family oriented because there's going to be green space there, kind of like Columbus Commons is green space. But also they're in talks with the city of Columbus because it's kind of on the border with Reynoldsburg and Columbus to develop kind of like a metro park nearby, you know, right across the street. So, you know, that's definitely family friendly. Um, And so I think that's kind of the whole area will kind of be oriented toward those types of activities and just, you know, a place you can go and and enjoy yourself for the day. I remember as a kid, there used to be a place in Reynoldsburg for Christians called the King's Place, where Mm -hmm. they bring in all these like national Christian rock bands and play free concerts. I wonder if there's anything... Like with them have the event schedule, I'm, I'm wondering if you'll see more acts come in. You know, probably Christian cool. otherwise. Yeah, it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens there. So, I, I think it's good. I mean, Reynoldsburg, um, you know, has been in need of a boost, I guess, to be kind. And this could be great. I mean, if you bring in an Easton or a Bridge Park type facility like in Dublin, man, it sounds like a win-win for them. So, that's good. Yeah, they're excited. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that kind of impressed me, too, was – I like and I, I think this should appeal to you too, um, just with what you do with immigration point too. It's not like from your story they were very open to that. They wanted to help uh, promote that. They loved the fact that Columbus had that already in the city, and they kind of looked at Reynoldsburg as a strategic area for immigrant too, which it sounds like interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. They kind of already, um, you know, they were founded by a pastor who, you know, really started the the movement because his church didn't accept immigrants, you know, and that was in the 1800s in New York, but his church really wasn't, you know, willing to have immigrants come in among them. And he felt very strongly about that. So they kind of do that already. They have some churches that either host, you know, an, an immigrant friendly church that, you know, speaks in different languages or they're kind of joint churches. Um, and so they are already doing that work. And, and in Reynoldsburg, it's kind of a great place because it's the, there's a big Bhutanese Nepali population there. And they actually have a city councilman who is Bhutanese Nepali, which is a big first nationwide. So, um, you know, I think it's it's good in that way, too, because, um, you know, they'll have they'll be able to really get involved in the immigrant community here more than they have been, you know, maybe in Colorado Springs. Very good. Very good. Well, anything coming up? Um, and I apologize for the echo. We're getting the echo back again. But um, anything coming up next week? Yeah, um, I'm going to be working on a few things. Um, I'll probably do a follow to the, you know, try to do some kind of follow with the faith leaders to the shooting that happened last week locally. And then, um, you know, tomorrow I'm actually listening in on a presentation about uh, DREAMers and DACA, Deferred Action for childhood arrivals and just kind of catching up with what's going on with them. I haven't, I haven't been um, as in the loop with that lately, but um, I think there, we have a lot of dreamers locally, so it'll be nice to see what's next. Very good. Well, as always, it's great to have you on today. Thanks so much. Uh, everybody, thanks for checking out the Highland. You have a great day. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. 
We're hoping to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.